Amen. Come on, make some noise this morning. <laughs> Man, I love having fun at church with you guys. It is the absolute best. You guys ready to get into the Word this morning? Come on, I'm so pumped. Um, hey, you can go ahead and turn in or on your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is our base verse for the day and uh, where we're going to really hang out. Let me tell you, uh, we are going to, this is the kickoff of a brand new uh, mess or series over the next several weeks, seven or eight weeks uh, here at Radiate called Crazy Good. Uh, we want to uh, just have, we want to have this conversation because we believe the Bible is transformative. And if it's transformative and changes our lives, then it should change how we live our lives and what we do. And, uh, and so we're going to go over the next several weeks over some things that we all deal with and have come, we're going to talk about marriage next week is crazy good marriage, crazy good intimacy, right? Right. All the married people said, praise God. The rest of you are, y'all are embarrassed today. I don't know why. No, we're going to talk about marriage next week and things like that. Um, and it's just going, we're going to go through topics and just what the Bible has to say about it, because I think we need to have those conversations. And so uh, really excited about that. I want you to join us for those. Come back next week to be a part of that. And I just want to say real quick before we get started, to everybody that invited somebody and brought a guest with you, I want to say thank you, because here's why. Um, we believe that every number is a soul, is a person. Every person has a soul and every soul is going somewhere. And we want to reach as many people for the kingdom of God as absolutely possible. So thank you for caring enough about your friends and family to invite them to be a part of this. And let me encourage you, don't let this be the last time. Invite them again this week. Invite them again the next week. Invite new people to come and be a part because I just believe God's building something really transformative here at Radiate Church. And we're excited to be a part of life with you. Now, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this concept of a crazy good life. A crazy good life. I, um, I want to, you know, so several years ago, I've talked about this before. Y'all heard me talk about it. Several years ago, I went through this phase where I didn't doubt God. I didn't doubt my faith. I didn't doubt what I believed. But there was not a lot of, um, I'm trying to think of how to explain it without causing confusion. There wasn't a lot of base to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it, I really got pushed, like I knew where to turn and who to turn to, but I didn't know why. A lot of times a lot of what I believed a, a, a long time ago was because that's what I'd been taught that's what I've been told this is how you worship and this is the songs you worship to and this is how you pray and all that stuff's good and well and I don't think anything was bad about it or even wrong about it but there comes a point in every Christian's life to where you have to get to a place to where you em embrace this tension to where you start to reconstruct your beliefs and start to understand the basis of why you believe what you believe. So, so let me say it like this. When we have a very shallow idea of what worship is and sounds like and looks like, then we begin to worship based on our preference of songs rather than the heart of what the song is saying. Does that make sense? Or we begin to pray at certain times, but only at those times. Right, so transitions and services, you know, things at church. We pray at church a lot or when we have problems. So I began to go on this journey of kind of reconstructing my basis, my faith, my foundation. And, and, and I don't think we're ever fully there, but I think there's moments of tension where you have to figure that stuff out for yourself. And what happens is a lot of times we can run from tension. You know, I don't know anybody wakes up in the morning and is like, let me see how much tension I can create in my own life. I, don't, I, I would swear some people do that, but 
I don't know anybody that actually does that, right? And, and so we can run from tension. For instance, like if we have tension with a family member or a friend, we go blast them on Facebook. I mean, uh, we have the conversation. It's a joke, just trying to get you woke up. Um, no, we, 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 we kind of push that away for a season and we'll block people out until the tension is no longer awkward and then we're friends again, right? Or if there's a tension at work, we go find a new job. If there's a tension at church, we go find a new church. Some of us, if there's a tension in marriage, we go find a new spouse. Okay, y'all don't get quiet on me today. Like all this stuff, and the reality is, I want to teach us something. Tension is a good thing. Tension actually causes us to dig a little deeper. Do you know how trees, their roots get deeper and stronger? It's from the winds and the storms of life causing them to dig a, a deeper tap root so that they're stronger in the ground. And, and we, if we run from tension, we'll never figure out the depth of something. We'll never figure out the basis of something. And so I went through, and I go through all the time, trying to find the basis. What is the basis? Like, what is the point of worship? What is the point? I even asked this question when we were planning this service. What is the point of the songs that we're doing today? Shabbat. Shabbat. We're great and comfortable going, yes, Lord, yeah. You know, whatever. I don't know. But whenever it's... I can feel dry bones rattling and we start declaring something positive. It can get me like, I don't know if that's worship or not. Shabbat, loud voice. It's worship. And the reality is, is we base everything, we filter everything through our past experiences. What we've been taught, what we've been a part of, all that stuff. But as we begin to get to this tension and we begin to realize our base for things, we understand that there's actually a deeper meaning for a lot of this stuff. And, and, and when we understand that and we get into the word and we pray, what begins to happen is we learn something. I came across this verse that's a rally verse for churches all over the world. It's a rally verse for the love of Jesus in our lives. It's a rally verse for new life in Christ. It's a, new, it's a rally verse for churches. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you grew up in church, you've heard this verse. If you didn't grow up in church, you probably still heard this verse in some way, shape, or form. It's this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things pass away and the new things, behold, new things have come. In other words, what he's saying is, is everything that you were is no longer who you are. And there's two words in this verse that caught my attention when I was going through this season of my life. And it was these two words, in Christ. In Christ. Those are the transformative those are the, uh, 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 I guess, the, the central words of that verse. Because he says, old things have passed away if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, new things come. And, and I wanted to kind of dig into that. Like, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, to be in Christ, we have to first understand Christ, right? And we have to understand this concept. This con there's a concept that we have to grab and understand to understand Christ. And it's this. It's that our lives change or our lives are determined or defined based on what we're committed to. Our lives are defined by what we're committed to. So in other words, whenever we say to people, I don't have time for that. Here's what we're saying. I'm not committed enough to that to make time for that. Okay, let's call it what it is, right? And some of that stuff's fine. I'm not telling you you should. But some of that stuff when we say it to our kids and our wives and we say it to our, 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 our family member when we say it to God, right? And then we're saying, hey, I'm not committed enough to that. Let me, let me give you an example. Before I got married, many of you in the room, many of you watching online are married or, or, or want to be married or going to get married. I've got like 17 billion weddings coming up before the end of the year. Uh, so this is wedding season, right? So people are getting wet, married. And here's the reality. Before you get married, 
man, things look different, don't they? They look different. When you get in an argument with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, what can you do? You can leave. You got a way out. It can be like, hey, girl, you fly, but like this ain't working. Can you say fly anymore? Is that even cool now? You can't, I can today because it's from the 80s. Thank you. Um, right? <laughs> That's good. Right? Or like if you're arguing on the phone with your girlfriend, guess what? What can you do to get out of the argument? Click. You can do that now, but you still got to go home to him when you marry. So I would not suggest it. Right? Or if you're dating and you're at their house, right, and you get in an argument, what do you do? Peace. <laughs> we can pick this back up later because I ain't doing this right now, right? Or, or before you get married, it's like, oh, man, I, I want to go play golf, you know, this week. And so you can go play golf whenever you want because you got nobody to answer to, right? You get married. I hadn't played golf in two months. I, I started a life group to play golf once a month. I'm just kidding. My wife is great, and she lets me do it. But I did start a life group joining. It's great. Um, right? Things look different. Why? Because I'm, when I go play golf, it's not just affecting my time. It's affecting what? Her time. Why? Because my commitment changed. And, and when I got married and I stood at this altar, and I, and, I, and I cried, you know, with my wife, and I said, I do, and I said, I do for life. And, 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 and we pledged our lo love to each other. Things change. I can't just go home and sit in a recliner and watch Sports Center for hours on end and eat a microwavable Michelinas dinner. Can't do it. I can't just cook a hot pocket and eat it and not do anything to clean up for three days. That's what I did before I got married, but when I got married, it was like, no, because it affects her as much as it does me. My life is defined and determined by what I'm committed to. When you have kids, it just throws even more on the, on the plate, doesn't it? It's you're committed even more. You eat more dino nuggets than you ever thought that you could, right? Mac and cheese, craft mac and cheese, those little cups. Come on, somebody, they are lifesavers. Because you ain't cooking two meals. You'll just eat when they're eating that night, you know? Because you ain't, listen, you can say, all right, y'all going to eat what I eat or else you're going to bed hungry all you want, but don't nobody send their kids to bed hungry, all right? So don't lie. Don't lie. And so we're, we're in this thing, and our life is determined by what we're committed to. And so if, if that's a truth, and that's a reality in life, we have to go and, and go, okay, what does in Christ mean then? In Christ means in Jesus. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his placement. It's his call. It's who he is. Jesus, the anointed one, is what it means. And so if it's, Jesus, if it's in Christ, if it's in Jesus, right, then what does that mean? His life is determined by what he's committed to guess who he's committed to you and me Jesus's life looked completely different when he was on this earth Jesus spent 30 years of his life getting ready for three and a half in fact let's be real the first day he was on earth was completely different he was born of a virgin can we just stop there like that's not even scientific what are you talking about born of a virgin in a manger not a palace, he was a king. He wasn't born in a palace, he was born in a manger with donkey doo-doo all over the place. Like, let's just call it what it is. His first day was different. Nobody else was born like that. Jesus was. And then he lives his next 30 years as a kid growing up, as a carpenter, as a student of the scriptures, as a student of Torah or the, the, the Old Testament, as a student of Jewish culture, right? He, he lived 30 years learning that stuff 
And then he spent the next three and a half years making an impact that was so insane that it set people off the deep end. Can we just pause for a minute and understand? Jesus spent 90% of his life preparing for 10% of his ministry or for 10% of impact. Think about that. We want the 10% of preparation and the 90% to be the impact. And Jesus goes, no, it's upside down. I spent 30 years getting ready for three years. I spent 30 years learning how to be a leader, learning how to impact people, learning to hear God's voice and to be a part of my father's business. And I spent three years doing it. And many of us go, I want the platform now. Can I tell you something? Can I just give you some leadership? If you want to climb the ladder, Jesus says, be a servant, not a leader. If you want to be a leader, be a servant. If you want to be a leader, be a servant. Spend more time preparing your character than you do building your platform. That's what it looks like. And Jesus did this thing. It was so upside down. This is insane. We have to learn this about Jesus. It was so upside down. He walked around healing people's blinded eyes. He walked into his best friend's grave, who was dead and stinking, walked in there and said, hey, Lazarus, quit playing and get up. And Lazarus goes, okay, my bad, Jesus, and gets up and walks out. That's my version of the story, but that's what happened. Right? He, he, he goes into a little girl that they said was dead. He casts the chaos out, and then he raises her up off the bed, and she's alive. He healed people that were paralyzed. He, he saved people and, forgiven, and forgave them of their sins. Jesus did all this crazy stuff and all this stuff. When you read it on the external, if you don't know the whole story, you'd sit back and be like, man, he was a rock star. People loved him. He walked into town. It was like, oh, Jesus, yeah. No. Jesus came into town. It was like, Jesus, I hate you. You're taking my platform. They hated what Jesus was doing because Jesus was building a platform for the Father. They wanted to build a platform for their government. And so he was doing things upside down from what they were, they were used to, so upside down, and they hated him so much that they said, hey, Jesus, you're giving life to so many people on this earth. But we want to take you, and we want to put you in custody, and we want to put you in prison, and we want to put you away, but we're going to release a man that takes lives. You give life, Jesus, but we're going to release a man that actually literally took lives and killed people. In fact, they hated him so much that not only did, that's pretty upside down, not only did they do that, but they, they tortured him and humiliated him in front of everybody. Crown of thorns, they said, here's a robe, a purple robe for your royalty, King Jesus. Shove a crown of thorns down his face and scratch a cat of nine tails, pull his beard out, spit on him. The Roman torture device that he had to carry called a cross, he had to carry up a hill to his own death. That doesn't sound much like love, does it? Doesn't seem like it matches up to the actions that were taking place, does it? It was upside down. He gets to the, to the uh, skull, the, the place of the skull, Golgotha, and they lower his, they put him on the cross and they lower him down with a thud and he begins to go, and they, people begin to walk by and watch him literally breathe his last breath and, and slowly die on the cross with blood dripping down, people hurling insults at him. This is the Jesus we talk about and then he calls his own shot. He goes, you can kill my body, but in three days I'll raise back up and I will show everybody who the kingdom of God really is. And he does it. He calls his own shot. And three days later, he raises back up and he goes and meets his disciples. And he looks at them and goes, here's the scars on my hand. Here's the literal holes. Put your finger through it, Thomas. And he shows the, that he called his own shot and he was real. And the reality is, is that he was so committed to you and to me and to the relationship with us that his life looked completely different from everybody else. 
His life didn't look like anybody else's. His life didn't look like the Egyptians. His life didn't look like the priests. His life didn't look like the Romans. His life looked like the father, somebody that gave everything so that everybody else could get everything. That's the Jesus that we're talking about. When we're talking about in Christ, we got to understand our life is determined by what we're committed to. And he was so committed to me and he was so committed to you right here today in 2021 at 105 Sparkleberry Crossing Road in Columbia, South Carolina. He was so committed to you today that everything he gave, that he did everything to be with us. He did everything to be with us. God is so committed that he left no stone unturned. And watch this, no grave occupied in order to be with us because he's committed to you. And I know, I know, it's like, yeah, but he doesn't even know me. Oh, uh, he knows you. He knows me, he knows you. And so it's important to understand that when we read 2 Corinthians five seventeen, where he says we have to be in Christ because what we're in, we're surrounded by, right? We're sur if I'm in the lake, I'm surrounded by what? Water, of course. Why? Because I'm in the lake. That's what a lake is, is water. Some of us are in negativity. And you don't have to wonder what you're surrounded by. You're surrounded by negative people. Some of you are so far in political movements that you can't be surrounded by Christ. Some of us are so in depression. Maybe it's not by your own doing, but maybe it is. We don't have to wonder what we're surrounded by. Some of us are so in that our marriage ain't going to work that we don't have to wonder what we're surrounded by. My, my, my point is, is whatever we're in is what we're surrounded by, and maybe we need to change what we're surrounded by if we want to be in something different. In other words, let me give you this phrase. It's a, it's a leadership phrase we use all the time here at Radiate. It's, it's if you want something different, guess what? Do something different. And, and we got to get into this thing and be in Christ. In fact, I love what Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25, uh, the prophet Isaiah is, is writing something here. And here's what he says. You ready for this? He says, um, I, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. I, even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions. For my own sake, he says, I wipe out your own transgressions and I will not remember your sins. See, God's so committed to being in relationship with us that he doesn't remember what we did yesterday when we're in Christ. It's forgotten. And some of us hold ourselves hostage over what we did 20 years ago, and God doesn't even remember that person because we're in Christ. We're not in sin we're not in Satan. We're not in the enemy. We're in Christ. And when we're in Christ, the old things pass away and then everything becomes new. Who we were no longer matters. It's only about where we're going. It's only about who we're in and we're in Christ. And I want to clear something up today because I know you're sitting here going, oh man, I, I, I join, a, join a religion. When I come into Christ, I, I become a part of Christianity and religion. We're in the Bible belt and that word religion, I hate that word. God doesn't want you in religion. I don't want you as a part of a religion. God, God wants us to be a part of a relationship. Religion is about rules and regulations that benefit the religion. Relationship is about love and trust and commitment and opportunity. That's why in 1 John it talks about that we love God because he first loved us. It's relationship, not religion. 
It's not about the rules and regulations. Do you know why the Bible spells out certain way to do things? It's not because God goes, I want you to be a part of my religion. It's because God goes, I want you to live out my relationship. See, when I fell in love with my wife, everything changed. When I fell in love with my wife, I stopped looking at other females. When I fell in love with my wife, I, I, I stopped doing things just for me. When I fell in love with my wife, I started thinking about her and caring about her and worrying about how to get her out of a bad day and how to help her and push her along. See, things changed when I fell in love. And when we really fall in love and we really surrender to Jesus, maybe it's not about just going to church. Maybe it's about going to church because I get to spend time with people that love the same person I love and his name is Jesus. It's not a religious duty anymore. It's a relational opportunity. Maybe it's not about being a part of a life group because the pastor said so, but it's about being in relationship with people that love Jesus. We can talk about that. Maybe reading the Bible isn't about, oh, I've got to read five verses before I go to bed. Maybe it's about, man, God, you are encouraging me in the book of Isaiah chapter 43 that you don't even remember who I was. So maybe I shouldn't remember who I was. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And as I was going through this moment in my life, I began to realize that I, can, I have two choices in this life. I can be in Christ or I can be in me. It's really the only options I have. And what I began to realize is I was in me a whole lot. And I began to realize that a lot of us are in me a lot. You know what I'm saying? In me means that I take care of everything. In me means that I work for my promotion. And I think you should. In me means that I do. In me means that I am. Let me put it to you just as plainly as I can. In me means that you are your own God. Because I depend on me to fix everything. Now, don't, don't take me wrong and think that I'm saying that you should just go home and not do anything and expect God to do everything. I think you work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God because it does. But the reality is, is like when it's in me, I'm not even depending on him. When worship is in me, then I worry more about my preference of worship rather than what the heart of the song is saying. When, when, when prayer is in me, then I look at my watch to see how long it's been rather than talking to my Savior. When it's in me, I'm more worried about, okay, let me just check this off. And what I began to realize, if I'm going to be real, is there was a lot that was riding on me. And, and I got this feeling and this overwhelming feeling that I couldn't do it all and I had to come to this realization that I'm on this this road trip called life but I'm not driving the vehicle and I had to come to a place to where over the past few weeks I stay this I say this statement to myself when I start to feel like that because I still do sometimes we all do it's this get in the back seat get in the back seat you ain't driving this is God's life you just happen to be a passenger that he intends to take somewhere great. Let God drive. You do your part until you can't, and then you let God drive. You sit in the back seat, get out of the way, let me do my thing. Sometimes we just got to get in the back seat. And there's four quick examples I'm going to give you, just, and they're going to be quick. Uh, I want to give you today of what it looks like. Because when, when I'm in me, then what happens is, is there's a few things that take place that can hurt me and, and the reality is is that when I'm in me I'm a victim y'all I'm a victim everybody's doing something to me everybody's coming against me 
They didn't say this. They didn't, they didn't greet me when I walked in the door. They didn't invite me to be a part of their life group. Pastor didn't even shake my hand today. How dare he? Well, I got about 700 people to shake hands, so it's going to be difficult. Like, it's just right here, like, I'm a victim. And you know when you carry the victim mentality, everything is bad in your life. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just can't anymore. Everybody's against me. I, I sang a song earlier that apparently nobody knew in the second, in the second service. Uh, maybe you'll know it. Um, everybody hate, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Thank all. Eat some worms. There's like two people that know that. Y'all need to get this. Nobody know that song. You know that song. You know that. Four people. Thank you. Praise God. Y'all are saved. The rest of you, I'll pray for. When I'm in me, I become a victim because I become sensitive. Watch what 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 55 through 57 gives us this thought. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is, uh, is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I put my victim mentality and I put it in Christ, then I can now pull out that I'm a victor. I'm not a victim anymore. It's not happening against me. Jesus has already won every fight that I'll ever fight. He's already been through everything I'll ever be through. Hebrews says, and I'm now a part of a kingdom that will never be shaken. I'm a victor. I'm not fighting for freedom. I'm not fighting for freedom. I'm fighting from it. I am victorious through Jesus Christ. Well, then nothing bad will ever happen to me. No, it's not what it says. It says when something bad does happen, he's already won the battle. He's already won the fight. And you can't, and can't watch this. We all want victory without the battle. Victory doesn't happen without a fight. Be careful. If you want the victory of Jesus, and if you're in Christ, you want the victory of Jesus, and then get mad when there's a battle. They come together. And so we gotta, we gotta come, and I, I learned, like, I'm not, a, I'm not a victim. No, I'm not a victim. I'm a victor through Jesus. I'm somebody special. Watch this, and, 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 and when it's in me, man, problems. Don't, anybody ever have problems just pop up, like one right after another? You ever had that moment where it's like, good grief, I'm going through a season of problem, problem, problem. And problems, when we're in me, problems can sink us. Problem. God, I don't have enough money for, 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 you know, for my bills. God, I don't this. God, I don't that. Problem after problem after problem after problem. And can I tell you that not every problem is a punishment from God? And also, not every problem is a temptation from Satan. Sometimes we bring the stuff on ourselves. Like, don't blame God and Satan for making you spend all your money at Target. I'm pretty sure we willingly pull that card out of our wallet, right? But when I'm in me, problems can drown me very quickly. Because problems are difficult to get through. And there comes a point when I'm in me that I run out of energy to keep fixing problems. Anybody with me in the room? But, but when I take my problem and I turn it into Christ, Romans 8 and 28 actually teaches me that, let's read it straight. And we know that God causes what? All things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his promise. <laughs> so now, 
my problem, whenever I put it in Christ, my problem now becomes his promise. When I put my problems in Christ, now he goes, I'm going to take all those problems and I'm going to work them together for your good, to make you better, to make you stronger, to give you tension to figure out your basis. Your problem doesn't have to be a problem. It can be a promise. What's some more things? Here we go. When I'm in me, when I'm in me, y'all, we're in a season where this is taking over right now. Fear. When I'm in me, fear just paralyzes. You know what fear, really, the kind of the root of most fear is? The inability to have control and know what the outcome is going to be. I'm a control guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a high-octane leader. I'm always going. I'm always trying. And I, like, I got to have my thing. I know the, the numbers of this church. I know the, the operations of this church. I know what, you know, if you serve on our dream team, I, I pretty much know kind of what you're going through in life. Even though I may not talk to you about it personally, I know what's going on. Like, I, I'm, I'm a control guy. You know what I'm saying? Anybody with me? I'm a control guy. I like to be in control. My wife is like, can I drive? And I'm like, no. There's multiple reasons for that. But anyway, um. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You'll watch this later, babe. She's serving our kids today. Every service. Fear can paralyze us, right? And, and, and fear can be difficult to overcome because it makes us afraid. What if this could happen or that could happen? And what if this happens? And what if that happens? What if it does? What if Jesus comes back tomorrow? Be ready. What if, what if I get in a car accident? I don't know. Roll with it. Like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to diminish anything, but there's literally nothing we can do about these things. But the enemy will use them and will use them to cause paralysis of fear. And, And what happens is Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, when we put it in Christ, Isaiah 41 and 10 tells us this, don't fear for I'm with you and don't even anxiously look about you. For I am your God and I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Whenever I, I take my fears and I, and I put them in Christ, there's something that I can pull out called faith. And see, fear paralyzes, but faith catapults. Faith causes action. Faith causes ridiculous belief of something fear causes us to go what if jesus comes back tomorrow faith causes us to go then everybody that is associated with me will know his goodness and his grace and his forgiveness and his salvation and i'm not going by myself i'm gonna take a party with me and we're gonna celebrate when it's time if he's coming back tomorrow that's what faith does Fear goes, what if they don't come to church with me and they think I'm crazy? Faith goes, what if this one invitation is a moment of life change for their eternal hope and their eternal salvation? See, fear paralyzes and faith catapults. When I put my fear in Christ, then I pull out faith. Here's one more quick one. When I'm in me, how many of you know you can get hurt a lot? When it's in me, it kind of goes with the victim thing, but when it's in me, I can get hurt a lot. I don't have anything to kind of cushion the blows. You know, I wish I could teach some people how to give compliments. I realized that when I was in me, like some people would come up and be like, hey, pastor, I love, uh, I love your preaching when. 
Okay, all right. Could have kept that to yourself. Appreciate that. <laughs> hey, Pastor, I love this church win. Huh. Hey, Pastor, I would join a life group, but. And when I was in me, it used to offend me really bad. And it still kind of hurts, I'm going to be quite honest. Because what it is, is I love this when it meets my needs. Forget what God's saying, just do what I say. And the reality is, is hurt, hurt happens when it's in me because we just get worn down and tired. You know what I'm saying, right? I'm using my examples, but you have examples. And here's the other thing about being hurt. Hurt people, hurt people. Because if I hurt, you're going to hurt. That's how most people work. It's if you are embarrass me, I'm going to embarrass you. If you stab me in the back, I'm going to stab you in the back. If I'm not good enough for you, you're not good enough for me. That's how hurt, hurt people hurt people. But when I take my hurt away from me and I put it in Christ, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, teaches us something. This is coming straight from paparazzi from our series that we just finished. It says, consider it all joy, my brothers, right? When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, Watch this. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When I take my hurt and I put it in Christ, I pull out humility when I filter it through him. See, James is trying to teach us. We talked about, we did spend a whole week talking about that. That problems or hurt come but if I look at it through the right framework and the right filter, it becomes humility because when I'm not humble about my life, I am my God. And I don't want to be my God because I can't carry it. In fact, watch this. Humility helps me understand what Jesus was talking about when Jesus said this. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and, and when I'm not humble, I think, I can carry anything. I can carry 30 years of pain. I, I, I can live a life of bitterness and be okay because I can carry that. In fact, give me yours too. I'll carry yours. And there's this, this old preacher phrase that we can either get bitter or we can get better, but we will not get both. We can get bitter or we can get better, but we can't be both. And when I'm in me, I think I can carry it all. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to give me your weight. I, I want you to give me your bitterness. I want you to give me your pain. I want you to give me your frustration and your hurt and your confusion. I want you to give me all of that because he says, my yoke is easy. Like, it's not going to be hard on you. And my burden is light. In other words, when you're in me, it's going to be light. In other words, it's quit filling this bucket and fill this one. And there's some of you in the room today that are much like I was and still am at times. And it's this, this bucket is so heavy, we almost can't pick it up. Because your marriage problems are in this bucket. And what that person did to you is in this bucket. And what they said, and how they labeled you, and the church hurt that you carry around, it's in this bucket. And it's so heavy that you might be able to get it off ground, but you can't carry it anymore. And Jesus says, how about this? How about you empty that bucket and you fill this bucket 
because you weren't designed to carry the weight that I can. And all you got to do is carry the bucket of Christ. All you got to do is carry the bucket of in Christ. All you got to do is carry this bucket and it's light and it's easy and it's not religious, it's relational. You carry this bucket, it's a lot lighter and I'll carry that bucket because I'm designed to carry that bucket. In fact, Jesus hung on a cross with his arms outstretched so we can take the handle and just slide it right onto his arms. And he holds it and he goes, I don't judge you. In fact, let's go back. Isaiah, what does he say? I blot out your transgressions and I won't even remember your sins. Who you were doesn't matter because we're carrying this bucket. And what I would love today is there's people in this room. Two, two things. One, the reality is the first thing we got to do is carry the bucket. We got to actually pick up the bucket of Christ. We got to actually pick up the cross of Christ. We got to actually pick up his sacrifice and his love and go, I want to give him everything. I want to submit and surrender my life to him. I want to give him my life. I want salvation of eternal relationship with God. And that's, that's number one. The second thing is, is every one of you have cards in your seats and pens. And here's why. The reason is, is because some of you have realized throughout the day that your bucket is way too heavy. And what I begin to do, and still do this, is I begin to write down the things that were in my, my bucket that needed to be in his. And as I wrote them down, I'd take them and I'd, get them out of this bucket and I'd either throw them away or write them in a column that says in Christ because it was a symbolic way for me to go Jesus I can't do this it's only you and can I tell you that some of you are hurting and I'm if you'll give me another minute some of you are hurting and you're walking in here with something that's so painful and so difficult and some of you have been carrying something for decades and I just need to tell you, the answer is not found in anybody else but Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only ever been Jesus. It's ever only going to be Jesus. There is no other answer. It is the blood of Jesus. And I just believe that when we walk down here and we write that stuff on that card, and in just a minute after Pastor Travis releases us, you're going to have the opportunity to walk down here before you leave and put it in this bucket. I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to do something inside of us. Chains are going to break. Freedom is going to take place because I believe that whenever we lay it in the bucket and in, in Christ, something's going to begin to shift and change and you're not going to be the same person because you weren't, care, you weren't meant to carry the weight you walked in here carrying. And Jesus says, if you'll give it to me, you don't have to carry the same thing that you walked in here with. You can be somebody new. You can be in Christ. And I just believe that freedom is in this room today. And so as you take the next couple of minutes, we're going to pray and is you write down on that card and pray over that card. Pastor Travis is going to give us some announcement. I'm doing it this way on purpose. And then he's going to remind us before we leave, drop that card off in this, throw it away. But if you're in the room and you'd say, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus today. I've never prayed for salvation and I want to today. I need to today. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would love to lead you in prayer and know who that is. We do this every single week because we just believe there's always somebody that hasn't given their life to Jesus yet and needs to. And if you're in the room and you'd say, I need and want to give my life to Jesus today and I'd love for you to pray with me, would you just hold your hand up right where you are so I can 
pray with you right where you are today. Amen. Now I'd love to, I'd love to just pray over you. Father, we honor you and we worship you. Thank you for being so committed to relationship with us that you did everything to be with us. And God, I just pray that as we write these things down on these cards, God, that we would all walk up here and place it in the bucket to say, I'm putting this in Christ. It's no longer in me. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. God, I just pray that things would shift and change, that the Holy Spirit would set people free, that freedom would take place, that, 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 that chains would break and bondage would break. And God, decades of bitterness would be released. God, that they know what their next step is for freedom. And God, we just honor you. And I can't thank you enough for loving us enough to be with us and to honor and love us the way that you do. We love you so much. In your name we pray.